And we're back, and you are with Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcasts featuring either my fellow black belt Naki Arshed on our show Reap the Week, or bespoke episodes with other personalities across jiu-jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a quick thank you to everyone on Patreon who's supporting us. If you'd like to help support what we're doing, find out more via chrispainsbjj.com. And now, the next episode. And we're back with Villain Cast. So it's myself here, Chris Paynes, uh, the villain. Uh, no Naki this week. This isn't a Reap the Week episode. Uh, in fact, we have Rob Cole, Liquid Rob. Uh, you'll normally see the, the handle online, uh, based out of Connecticut. Uh, how's it going, Rob? Good, Chris. How are you doing? Glad to be on. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad we could arrange this. Um, again, anyone I talk to in the in the States, it's always going to be a lovely time for you that I try and arrange these things and a terrible time for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, we've obviously, we've we've talked a, f- uh, a few times in the past. We've we've met uh, at Brad Wolfson's uh, over in Connecticut and we, we had a an interesting role but just because um i probably i don't have many listeners but introduce yourself uh where what is your your grappling history for those who who haven't had the luxury of speaking to you yet oh, all right well yeah I, uh, i've been doing martial arts like 30 something years and i was the classic karate guy and then you know got my black belt in that as a teen almost you know whatever then i got into Jeet Concepts, which was a little more Street Fighter or Alive type training. And then 1993 happened and Hoist Gracie just started choking all these people out and beating people. And I looked at that and I go, man, I need to start doing stuff like that, which I'm sure a lot of the old people like me probably experienced. So, but there was out here, I was out in Connecticut and there was just no jujitsu. I think there might've been a blue belt around by New York in like, we're talking, you know, mid 90s, well, you know, that early nineties. And he, we, in our Jeet Kune Do school, we just like threw some mats on the ground and just tried to like tear each other's arms and legs off. Like we didn't know what we were doing. And we would like buy VHS tapes on how to do this stuff or Henzo Gracie tapes. And, and then, so, but then but had it with my job, I was able, I transferred out to California with my, uh, with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And then we started, I started training with, uh, Frank Shamrock and some other jujitsu people in another school. And then that's when I just started grappling and I'm like, all right, this is the stuff. And that's what I've just been focused on grappling, pretty much grappling, little MMA striking here and there because of my other arts, but just stuck with the grappling. And I, uh, got my, uh, my black shirt from Frank Shamrock, you know, we didn't have belts because we were no gi. And then I started moving across the country, did some jujitsu gi, jujitsu here, tried it out, hated it. <laughs> I'm like, this is cheating. Everybody's grabbing my pants and my, my collars. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I started doing no gi again and I got my purple, uh, purple belt from Eddie Bravo. Just doing that. And kind of shut down what I was doing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to finally learn this gi stuff. And I put the gi on and I just 
said, I'm not going to do any no-gi stuff, just all loop jokes and lasso and spider guard. And pretty much every night I come home and like soak my hands in ice because my, my fingers were killing me from trying to learn to gi. And then uh, I got up, went through, you know, purple, brown, and black. And then started doing some more no-gi again. And with the with the gi, I, I mean, I've been teaching throughout every school I kind of go to. I kind of end up teaching some classes or doing something. So I've always I've been instructing since you know the days at AKA with Frank Shamrock and uh, those guys. And then wherever I go throughout the Florida and Connecticut, and then uh, then I think COVID happened, and I started watching more YouTube, and because I was always like into all the DVDs and instruction of everybody, Mendes brothers, uh, Marcelo, et cetera. And then I just started looking at some videos and I seen like Kit Dale talking about concept heavy. And then uh, some other guys and Donaher in his, you know, DVDs and all his long rants. I like the concept part about it. Usually like the first part of his DVDs where he's talking about why jujitsu works. And uh, then Preet ran into Preet on YouTube. And I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. What's this defensive stuff, you know? And I just started playing with it in my living room with my 12-year-old daughter at the time, who was only doing jujitsu for like six, seven months. And I'm like, just start attacking me. I just went through like Turtle and Running Man and Panda and all these things that I was showing her. And we were just rolling around in the living room on the mats. And then I started training with my buddies again in the basement. And I'm like, wow, this defensive stuff is working and it's not even, you know, now it's against adults. So I just started experimenting more with that. And I thought, you know, your videos, you know, how do you defend everything video that went crazy that everybody talks about and just started diving deeper and deeper and then communicating with Cree and his defensive site and then joining up with the Globetrotters and seminars here and there and pretty much just keep continuing learning and keep going on to different parts to be a better, you know, coach and learn and just figure this jujitsu thing out and how to do it better, you know, for me and my students. So that's kind of the quick version that was kind of long. So no, that's, that's absolutely fine. I mean, you, I said you had a heck of a, um, you, you, you went everywhere uh, coming up and you, uh, I, I mean, I may, I may have stalked you a little bit, uh prior to us talking um yeah. but you spent was almost nine years as a blue belt like most people go from like white belt to black belt in that time yet you spent nine years just at blue belt um well, weird. yeah because i was doing no gi guy right and yeah. i had the frank shamrock stuff the grappling i was good at it i could do leg. you know when people weren't doing leg locks in jiu-jitsu it was like oh no that's that's evil and i'm like Oh, it's leg locks, you know, it's no big deal. Like an, you grab somebody's ankle and they like freak out. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy. And then when I, cause when I go to jujitsu schools and then I was in Florida and I had a white belt and I already had all this grappling. And then about after the first two days, they're like, you need to put a blue belt on. This is, you're not a white belt. And I'm like, okay. And so I put the blue belt on then I do some of that. And then I got out of it again and I was doing more no gi and it was this constant blue belt. You know, I was a blue belt. That's my only jujitsu training. And then I started doing the 10th planet stuff. And then uh, 
then I was uh, did some seminar with Eddie. I used to go train up in Rochester with Chris Herzog and try to learn the 10th Planet stuff. And then rolled with Eddie, trained with him, and he, he gave me my purple, and I had a little 10th Planet school. But pretty much till I got that purple, I, I was considered a blue belt. You know, anytime I put the gi on, I felt like I didn't know what was going on anyway. When you play super grip heavy game, you know, and no leg lock. So I was like, man, this is kind of crazy. So I was pretty much at this blue belt stage for a long time, but doing no gi, which I was better at. So then I finally wanted to do more of the gi and it just really had to focus on all the stuff that makes the gi work, you know, and try just all the gi related uh, techniques or concepts. So yeah, it took a long time to really, then that's when I really wanted to start learning more stuff, you know, and focus on all different aspects of jujitsu instead of more just an MMA focus, submission wrestling focused at the time. I just wanted to expand more and more. So yeah, it's a, it was a weird journey. And like, if you look at my belt checker, I got a different person that promoted me like every belt. So I have no problem jumping around, you know, not just because I moved so much a couple of times and just kind of. You know, every instructor I had was really cool and just, you know, along the way, just helping me. But I kind of self-directed a lot of my own training, a lot of it actually through instructionals or just picking up stuff and just going training in, with my buddies and just trying to figure out different different ways to, to do things, you know. Since I'm, you know, more of a smaller guy and now I've gotten older, so, like, my game's not going to work with some of the instructors I've had who've been, like, six foot three or something, you know or just monsters. I'm not really that type of person. So I kind of always dive into how am I going to learn these things I want to learn for me? And then how can I teach them and show them to people that are not like me? So. So that's a, an, an interesting point I want to go on to. So you say you started within the traditional martial arts sphere, uh, as it were in the, in the early nineties. Um, and then went pretty much like from there into the the most non traditional martial arts place you could find um, of of Frank Shamrock. Um, how did you find going from um, training uh, traditional style and a tr traditional curriculum to to how it was with uh, Frank? Well, yeah, because I was a, you know, the traditional martial art karate slash taekwondo mix. And it was like forms and katas. But then we also did all the point sparring. And it was funny because our point sparring stances and everything were nothing like the katas we were doing. So as I look back at that time after researching all this learning stuff and you're always like, wow, why were we doing it like that back then? Because that's just the traditional way martial arts were taught, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And then I get into Jeet Kune Do, and that's not traditional, but they still do a lot of set techniques in a way. A little more live training, but you still have a lot of the, the repetition style stuff. And then I moved out to California, and I got thrown into this grappling thing, and I go to Frank's and AKA, and it's pretty much just like training hard, <laughs> Every, every session is like a fight, <laughs> but you know, we would still do like, it would be more since he was training MMA people for his, cause he was still fighting actively. This is when he was uh, just winning the title or, or right before it was like, 
you know, late, I'm kind of, you know, can't remember the timeline. I was just winning the UFC and uh, we would like do hard conditioning, hard training for like the first 20 minutes or so. And then we would do some techniques, you know, traditional still just kind of repping some stuff out. But he was very, um, since he didn't come from the jujitsu background, he had to kind of learn it from through Japan and Pancras and his brother Ken and all that, that we would just try to figure some stuff out, still rep it out, but like, hey, what do you think about this? Let's try this and add a lot of movement. He was very movement heavy. So like transitions and movement and scrambles. And then we would just roll and just for, you know, the last 30, 40 minutes of class. And usually everybody hangs out extra. Like we had some rounds, like me and one guy would go for like 45 minutes straight. <laughs> it was just roll as much as you can, you know. And uh, like I say, day one, I was learning knee bars. I think the first technique I learned there was half guard, spin over the knee bar, you know, like that style. And then full on heel hooks all day. <laughs> it was a very different environment, but I, I loved that style of training. You know, back then. but it still did, had that kind of classic warm up technique and roll, you know, that jujitsu people were doing. Did but, uh, the, um, so the style of training and the, and the, the fighting at, at Shamrocks, did that change how you viewed your previous martial arts experience? Did you, did you try and adapt it or did you think, actually, this is nothing like I've done before? Why was I doing that in the past? Yeah, it's funny because back then when I was learning, I'm like, oh, man, all that stuff I learned before just wasn't good fighting, you know, wasn't quality. But then now as I'm older, I bet, get back and go, you know what? Some of that still has a lot of benefit. You know, the flexibility, the mobility, the the, the speed and stuff like that, that it kicks. But like when I first started, I got into it because I watched uh, Bloodsport and Kickboxer on VHS, Van Damme. And I just started doing splits in my bedroom before I even started training. And I'm like, <laughs> and all I wanted to do was kick. Like my first couple of years of karate, you couldn't get me to throw a punch. I just wanted to do high kicks and spinning kicks and everything like that. So it was just all Van Dam type stuff. And then when I see the UFC, I'm like, all right, that doesn't seem like that stuff works as much. And <laughs> then when I went to AKA and Shamrock Gym, I'm like, that stuff doesn't, it's, it's good for like the speed, the flexibility and whatever, but it's not the the fighting fighting that we grew up with in the eighties. You know, the ninja, I, I don't, I don't think you were around for like ninja mania went crazy and all that stuff. So <laughs> UFC opens eyes to everything and pretty much changed martial arts for me and the majority of people for, uh, forever, you know, you like you learn like what really kind of happens in a one-on-one -on -one competition. And it's not, I think, you know, traditional stuff i think there was a bit of a time delay maybe um like i remember ninja mania i mean i'm I, i'm 36 dude i remember ninja mania oh. and teenage mutant ninja turtles and like <laughs> yeah. every i I'm pretty sure there was a film i remember watching as a kid uh i may need to actually look this up called surf ninjas and i'm pretty sure leslie oh, Nielsen yeah. was the bad guy oh yeah that that's uh that's post uh original ninja mania like american ninja and yeah, yeah. the octa yeah the octagon chuck norris and like all the stuff and then ninja turtles came out like i believe 1984 or five the first comic when it was black and white i'm sort of a nerd so i remember yeah. that stuff i was in the comics and all that stuff and then the cartoon came out and then it went crazy again you know like these things and uh and then the ufc came and shut down everybody's martial arts stuff you know for the ones who were had their eyes open, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, not the people that say, okay, the death touch still works and, you know, stuff like still that. Happens. Still happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's you too think, deadly to do, you know. You think we'd have enough proof out there by now that maybe we shouldn't be doing death <laughs> touches anymore. Um, yeah, but, no, it's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so then we go forward a little bit then and you, you start doing uh, more jujitsu, which... Um, obviously, I imagine we like I say it would be quite different to training at AK and, and at Frank's. Uh, with the different styles that you've seen over the years, was there how has that painted how you want to teach classes? Like, how is how did that affect you over time? Because you've had such a, a varied background. Um, what did you find taking from those initial jujitsu schools that that informed how you wanted to teach going forwards or were you were you trying to make a separate route from from the early doors yeah i I always when i when i teach i always want even from early i i just i want to give a good class like a pet peeve of mine is when people just come in and teach and like all right go do this and i'm gonna go on my phone and do that and here's a couple techniques and then they go whatever i want to be in there and and see the people do well and what you know really focus on the learning part but then through the years it's changed because i originally had people do warms up warm-ups shrimping up and down the mat since i'm semi i like to be a little athletic i you know i do the rolls i throw in some cartwheels for fun and stuff like that i usually didn't want it to take too long because i never liked the whole 20 minutes you know we're here to train like jujitsu you know not condition you could do that on your own time but i would give them a little warm-up and then I would always kind of still do a technique portion. And I got like super into like the technique has to be so perfect and precise and talk about it and this and that and then drill and drill and drill. And I do, you know, a couple techniques, have them connected, blah, 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 and then go into rolling. But over the years, it keeps changing. My warm ups got less. Uh, I try not to do as much technical instruction and then really like set the how things are going to be. And then in the last couple of years, that's completely changed. I used thought I taught a good class back then. And I think I did for the time frame because I was engaged and involved in it. You know, I didn't try to mail it in. Um, and then over the last couple of years, it's really even changed even more. And then now my classes are, there's pretty, the warm up is a, is a jujitsu based game. There's no, you know, I stopped doing all that shrimping and all that stuff for whatever. I don't even show a shrimp anymore. Like it, the shrimping on the mats has no context for anything, you know? So now it's like the warm up is just start, let's start doing jujitsu. You know, let's go on these games. Uh, let's have a task, a focus, a goal or whatever you want to call it. And let's just do that and just do as much jujitsu in that hour or whatever time frame the class is, you know? And I, just keep expanding on that and and i'm just keep trying to evolve my teaching and get to these points where i'm teaching a great class but my students are learning and and figuring out what this is and and hopefully will be better than me and learn faster than i have because it took me a long time you know and a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of beatdowns and a lot of training over the years to to get better, which everybody has to go through. But I don't want it to be as hard for them. You know, I want them to focus on the right things. What I feel is the right things. No, you don't really want them spending twenty years to get to where you are. I imagine. 
Um, no. Like, some some poor 20-year-old walks in thinking, yeah, I want to win at Worlds. Like, good, it would be in Masters 3. Like, <laughs> you'd, be here, you'd be here a while, kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so that's actually quite interesting because I remember at the one of the early Globetrotters camps, so this would have been about 2014, um, back when Christian had to employ or bring in known coaches to sell tickets, yeah. Um, yeah. which now, I mean, I was, I was making this point recently to a friend of mine saying that I think Christian usually can sell a camp out without announcing an, a single instructor, which makes you think is it all about the jiu-jitsu at this point then (laughs) since (laughs) since no one actually cares who the instructors are they're going anyway well Um, i think he's he's proven he could put on a great camp and and the people that go to it are like all right this is going to be great it could be jiu-jitsu or whatever the other extracurricular activities they know if christian's a part of it it seems like it's probably going to be a pretty good thing so you know we're we're along for the ride i guess yeah exactly i mean we all we all love this game. We all love the the things he puts on. Um, but back in the day, he used to have to get these these uh, other in, uh, instructors in. So this would be 2014. Yeah, we're looking at, and, and it pains me to say it, nine years ago. Uh, if someone said to yeah. me, oh, I started training in 2014, you think, oh, you're pretty new. No, that's nine years. Um, yeah. yeah. And so one of the questions that was asked of Keenan is how – what warm-ups he does for a regular class. And he said, I don't do any. Uh, and people were asking, oh, you know, don't you shrimp or anything like that? He went, no, no, I do. I do some drills to get my body warm. Then I go into rolling and I, I see what works. So again, it's because <laughs> I'm, 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 I was there. I heard him say this. And then I went home to teach my class as a um, newly minted purple belt. And we carried on shrimping, um, despite the fact that, you know, at the time, one of the best in the world had just said, he doesn't do it. Um, and so that's an interesting point, I think, is that, you know, you, you what you just said is, could be any gym in the world. Uh, anyone listening to this, um, or by and large, most people who may listen to this out of the five people who <laughs> out there who know this exists uh it's yeah. getting better um we'll probably have like yeah yeah i know what you're talking about um yeah yeah you have these these gyms you know who you know these elite level gyms that have been you know around for a while and, and are very well known for the, the 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 level of athlete they put out who don't do these things why do you think it's hard for for even though we see the evidence in front of us for us to no longer do what we do and change? Well, I think obviously martial arts, what, what are they steeped in? You know, tradition, right? It's, it's just how the game goes. And then your, your instructor teaches you and you teach the way your instructor did. You maybe put a little tweaks and it just keeps going and going. You're like, well, this is for me. So it's going to be effective, obviously for them. And they just keep doing it. And the thing is, but, they do make very good people, you know, these gyms, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody how they should train. This is just my opinion of what I've saw, see. And then you see these gyms and they produce great people. And then the people like, they'll say, well, you don't, if you don't drill, these other gyms are drilling like crazy. I go, yeah, but the gyms that are drilling probably an hour 
or whatever, two hours, they're probably also rolling really hard for a couple hours also. You know, those top guys put a lot of training in. So, but I'm not look. you know, we're not always looking for top players. Like, what about the person that comes in? How do they want to learn it? So you got this person comes two, three times a week. And if they come for an hour class and they do a 15 minute warm up, then they drill for 20 minutes. And reality, if you're doing dead drilling, you're only doing half of the drilling. So you, <laughs> cause you're doing the movement, other person's laying there. So you do 20 minutes of drilling. You're probably only doing 10 and that's against the non-resisting opponent. And then you roll for 20 minutes. So you probably only did like 20 minutes of live jujitsu compared to say you do an hour and like you talk about or pre or, you know, Greg Souders, these guys, this different approach, you're getting like, you know, 50 minutes or more in a full session of doing live jujitsu. So that volume is just going to keep adding up and get these people, even that are only training a couple times a week, they're going to get better in my opinion than somebody doing the traditional way, you know? And it'll take you so long to get here. And then what happens? They even get the blue belt. And then <laughs> you get your blue belt. Then you get mopped up by the purple and brown and black that have been taking it easy on you for years. And now that white belt, that's two, three stripes. You're now their, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're in their sight because they want your blue belt. And then they're coming after you. And it's like, oh, man, this is real tough because they did a couple of years, but they didn't do a lot of volume. They could have, they, I think they could have made it more efficient and optimized that training from the considered the, the more traditional class setup, which I've moved away from a while ago now, you know? Well, that's the interesting point is that, you know, nine years ago, this, you know, wasn't new information. Uh, I mean, I, I remember the room seemed quite aghast with the idea <laughs> at the time from Keenan. Um, Again, my, my memory may be warped. It's been almost a decade, and I've been choked a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. We don't have the best memory of vibes. <laughs> no, no. Don't trust a jiu-jitsu guy's memory, for, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, you know, martial arts are steeped in tradition. Um, do you think, then, that's holding us back? As in, we know there are better training and teaching practices. Is tradition a bad thing, then? of what we're doing as somebody who grew up in a martial arts for a long time and loved it and watched all the movies growing up and i was all in you know this and that but i would it but i'd always started bucking more against tradition from a long time ago because it just sometimes at some point it doesn't seem you know tradition's the older and i always prefer the newer methods it's just just how i see things so if we're i think we need to drop more of the old traditional methods in, in my opinion for me and the people i teach if you want to go do it and you love tradition that's great you know i don't do the whole professor and all that stuff i'm just a coach and this guy who does jujitsu and grapples around on the floor you know i don't need the bowing i don't need this or uh asking me to roll or turn your turn your turn around the tire belt in front of me like that stuff to me that's just that's ridiculous so if i'm, I'm going to get rid of that stuff you know, obviously there's probably better training methods and there's, there's real smart people that study this stuff about learning and motor learning and this and stuff. And there's a lot of evidence that says this is a better way or a, you know, more efficient way, whichever way you want to put it. So as me, as somebody who loves it, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old and I've been grappling and training a long time. 
I'm still trying to learn. Like if I didn't try to learn stuff, I would have been out of this sport, you know, years ago. If I was still doing the old, like an old self-defense curriculum, you know, uh, grab my wrist and do that and, you know, bear hug defense, I, I would have been done with that a long time ago. You know, I like to gr grapple and train and learn things and advance. And, and now it's fun. Now that I'm training more, I actually do less. You know, I don't care about the techniques as much. I, I don't care about learning two techniques. I want to under, I'd rather understand more and let's just get down there and grapple and do some jujitsu or whatever you want to call it. So not sure if I answered your question on that one, but um, yeah, I would say try to move towards the newer training methods than the tradition. I, I think that should be left in the past for most, for most things. Oddly. So I don't know, obviously we're about, we're going to see each other soon in Maine, um, depending when this episode comes out. Actually, to be fair, I may be dropping this episode whilst we're in Maine together. Um, okay. Which is uh, hilarious, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's a, a workshop that Christian and I did. Um, I think I, I, it was definitely we did it in... I think we accidentally did it in Iceland. Then we definitely did it um, like set up in Heidelberg last year. And it's essentially Christian putting... Uh, controversial subjects into a hat and picking them out and one of the ones he pulls out is you know essentially where it goes is is fuck belts and fuck black belts um <laughs> which goes down well i guess that's controversial yeah yeah uh, and he he likes having me kind of like i don't know he, he he's asked me to do it again in maine but having me on the panel i guess being inflammatory is is my brand as it's as it's going that way um yeah 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 <laughs> in a small way um but essentially what he's saying is uh is that especially with the, the ibjgf and being able to promote someone to black belt is you know it used to be you had to be a two-stripe black belt and now you have to be a three-stripe black belt and that seems like madness in that it always keeps you attached to a uh, person who's been doing it longer, even though you know at that point, if they're a third or fourth degree black belt, they're past their athletic prime. Like they may be very good at the technical side of jujitsu, but in regards to athleticism on the mat, they get their ass whooped like most oh, yeah. of the time. But it's a way of yeah. keeping kind of a thumb on those below you like i'm a fifth degree black belt like you can still bow down to me you know third degree black belt um and yeah. so i think there's a lot of uh the the old school martial arts tradition baked into this as a way of creating that pyramid of there's always someone above you keeping a thumb down on you um which then makes it quite difficult to then break out of as in to look at things objectively and go, why the hell are we doing this? Because there's that pyramid and there's someone above you who who affects your 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 vision, as it were. Um, but I think one thing I think would be is interesting about this is because you've never been kind of within a set pyramid um, for any period of time. Like you've 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 floated around. You weren't just like Gracie Baja or Carlson's for your entire jujitsu career. You've You've gone tenth planet, and then you've gone to other places. Um, it does sound like because you've never been 
part of that scheme you haven't felt that that influence from a from a higher power as it were to adhere to the traditional structure but i think that can be quite toxic in in more ways than just uh having to call someone professor sometimes um you know you 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 have to rev- it's almost like, like you say like there's you you teach how you were taught you teach how your coach was taught maybe you know you skirt around the periphery as it were um but you still because they're a they're always going to be that higher belt and your ability to, even to get a black belt is based upon you know them being two belts above you and you know being able to get your first uh stripe is them being still above you so you're always kind of tied to that person so stepping away and, and doing things very differently uh is kind of difficult for how we've set this game up oh yeah like and before you even said it before you even said the word pyramid i was gonna say well my controversial take for this for you because did you like uh this is that's your thing like jujitsu pretty much the 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 belt system is a pyramid scheme it just it just is right it 100 percent is and it's like the reason it takes me so long to get belts over these years that I, i never cared about the belt anyway obviously i never like seeked out anybody as you can tell by my record of promotions, I didn't seek these people. I could have done it much quicker if I just stayed in one place or did whatever, but I didn't really care about that. And it just seems like you set these structures up and it's like, now you can't branch out. You have to be under this person or the, the old school ways, not even not old school of going to train to another gym. Like to me, that's so ridiculous. Any gym that says, hey, just train here, don't go to other gyms. They're looking out for their gym. They're not looking out for your learning and for you to get better. You know, like going to open mats, going to different places, going to different schools, that's like the Globetrotters. Like that's why I was like, man, why haven't I been a part of this longer? (laughs) You know, this is an amazing setup. Like going to all these different gyms, going to a Globetrotters camp, and hitting two open mats a day with people from all over the place. Like that's like the classes are great and you learn from a lot of great instructors, but just getting to roll with so many different people and different styles, it's, that's how we're all going to get better. You know, sharing the information, this old, uh, this is me and I don't want to do this or the old, the old uh, VHS tapes and early DVDs of jujitsu Sometimes you watch these guys, they'll teach a million moves and then you go watch them compete and they don't do any of them. And you're like, but you're so excited to get these techniques that got handed down to you from this guy. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, but how do I train them? What am I repping? And are they really even, are they even using them? You know? So they just, it's just more ways to just lock you into these schools and these belts and these ranks. And you're like, can't escape like how many people you know or we know we hear stories their purples or brown belts and they they had a problem with their main person and now they've been stuck forever and they can't get a black belt you know that kind of happened to me for a little bit you know i was training at a gym this guy wanted to promote me he had a problem with the head owner he left and then i'm just stuck at brown you know and it's like okay now what but it's like man i've been doing this stuff for a long time (laughs) you know Exactly. Um, and that's why, again, I, I remember when Christian first started promoting people at camps, there was a an awful uh, large pushback um, 
of people saying, you know, it's not it's not the right way for lineage, and you know, you barely know these people, etc. Uh, I do like the system you kind of created with the the council of traveling black belts. Is you've got to have almost a unanimous vote at the end of the week after every black belt has rolled of you to agree that you know you you are worth who you say you are and you're not under anyone else and yada yada. Um, but again, yeah, that's, like, a, you know, that's a really cool system because they don't just they're just not out there handing out belts every camp. <laughs> no, like, I think at the main camp last year, one person did, and that was it. You know, it's like you gotta want to apply for it. You gotta have them test you out and try. It's not like they're just popping out belts, which is funny because you could hear some crazy stories of you know famous jujitsu people coming to seminars and they're just handing out blue belts like candy. You know, and it's like no, exactly. Just <laughs> just because they're they've been in the game forever, nobody checks them. You know. And it's just like, who's paying? Who's doing what? You know? I mean, it's hilarious as well. I mean, we mentioned the traditional martial arts that we, you know, we, I, I came through it as well. Um, I'm not saying like in, my, in the Japanese jiu-jitsu that I started in, it wasn't necessarily the case here. But because, you know, there was a bit of ninja mania when we grew up and, and Enter the Dragon and Kung Fu and, and various things, having that like master sensei uh, figure you know, from 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 pop culture, and then you go into a a martial arts school, and there's, you know, Moe Eshiba on the on the wall, or Jigoro Kano, and you bow to that picture of Master Sensei when you walk in, and then you know, it's just fine when you're a kid because you're you're caught up in all that stuff. You know, the the Master Splinter. Um, oh yeah, it makes you feel good, then, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you're part of this, you know, this society, and then. You know, I the, the idea now that there are adults that walk into jujitsu schools and bow to pictures of the coach. <laughs> Could you imagine if I was to put up a picture of myself and Preet on a wall and like when people walk in, like you know, bow to Master Sensei and like I I might actually just do that for the next time Preet comes to visit. And just like have everyone bow to a picture of him and make him teach under a picture of himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, Preet will love that. You, you got to bow internal, you know, you bow down yeah. internal. Yeah, with your, with your arms by your sides. Um, yeah. <laughs> no but I find looks. that's so funny. and it, But it's everywhere. Not everywhere, but it's it's still so common, and it's we've still stolen that. And I think there are various things like that that are holding us back. And you did say it then with regards to, um, you know, technique, and and I think this is also a really interesting point is this idea that, um, every technique is kind of known by now. <laughs> There's nothing kind of new under the sun, and if it is, it's. A, a outlying technique and rarely used in high level competition or whatever. Or if it is, it's it's a one off and just gets stamped out. Um, well, even if it is, even if it is a technique, like you take a buggy choke, all it is is just uh, another form of a head and arm or a triangle or whatever. Exactly. Right? It's just it's just orienting your body differently around the same thing. There's only so many ways to choke somebody, arm exactly. or somebody or whatever. Just how are you going to do it? And that's all. And you talk about it a lot. It depends on your body, your structure, whatever theirs, your opponents. So we're just, you know, we're just figuring out this grappling stuff and we make it way more complex than it needs to be. Like, I like how you, you've said in the past where you're like, here's a technique. 
and then your student tries it, it doesn't work, or they do it, it works, and then it stops working, and then they have to go to an instructor, give me another technique for that. And you're like, all right, then they give you another technique. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not, you don't just need more techniques. You need to understand why that didn't work or anything doesn't work or does work, you know? Well, in theory, in theory uh, you know, every technique is out there available for us all to to digest and and uh, absorb into our um jujitsu game um but then the the interesting point is, is why is there such deviation amongst skill sets of like very good you know elite level gyms and um standard gyms and you know uh, regular people rolling and um and then that again goes on to then the the final uh, not final question but the next question I want to you know I can see this taking a lot of time uh, but talking about the ecological approach so a completely different way of teaching jujitsu I know you're you're definitely um, deviating and looking into that right now uh, so just for people who aren't aware of it how would you describe the ecological approach? Uh, it's basically. Um self-organization of of your body to the other person it's constant life training it's no set drilling or reps everything has to be uh in context or as they like to say coupled together so you wouldn't be doing like a hundred leg drags in a row or you know shrimping up and down the bats with nobody but and not even being prescribed a move or told put your hand here, do this, do that, do this. That just, they believe it just muddles it too much. And it, and to me, it kind of robs the person of learning for themselves. You know, we obviously, as a coach, you kind of know what's good or bad, hopefully. And so you want to set your students up in good scenarios, scenarios that happen all the time. They'll call them like invariants. And they have these, you know, different terms they use, affordances, which are basically just opportunities, you know, like if the underhook's available, that's an affordance for you to do that, you know? So you're looking for these things and there's a concept of what makes good jujitsu or good grappling. So you're, you're not doing any, you know, I'm using air quotes on audio of a technique. There would be no technique. There's this, the controls, the positions and, and what you're trying to do. So you, it, as I listen to a lot with you say, it's very, it's all very similar to that approach and that defensive jujitsu, which I started doing kind of led to this because you can't really train defensive jujitsu at reps. You know, you don't just sit there and turtle and like hand fight, hand fight as they keep attacking collar chokes, you know, he wouldn't rep that out. You will put yourself in this position. You give yourself a constraint of not allowing any underhooks or, you know, collar grabs or some type of hand fighting or not letting him in that space. And that other person, the attacker would have their task and goal, you know, get, get a seatbelt or get double unders or put your hips on the mat and progress through there. And then we just, they keep scaling it up. And as you get better, you get less constraints or specific different constraints, you know, that's the constraint led approach. So, and it really kind of, I was talking with Greg about this on the weekend. He's like the ecological guy right now. He's like all in, you know, no technique, whatever. He's been doing it for years. So I wanted to go down and see what he does. And um, 
if you look at jujitsu, right? So you got, I always used to tell people, if you just want to get good and want to be whatever at first, just roll, right? Just roll as much as you can. You may not know a lot of technique, but you're going to be tough. You're going to learn what works kind of, and you're, or, you know, you'll be decent at that. And then at the slow bottom of the spectrum, you have a concept. And if you just study concepts and never train, obviously you're not going to be able to apply it, right? <laughs> you're just going to be talking about it. So what do we do? People create a technique. And now you, oh, that's a technique. Let's just drill that technique. And then we'll try to apply it in live rolling one day. You know, and then we know you show that white belt first day, a closed guard arm bar. They rep it all 50 times. Then you have them roll and it never works. Like it doesn't work like that, right? You're not going to pull off that arm bar. You're not going to get the collar and pull them. So then you have maybe a step up. You go to positional sparring, which is good, a little better, because you're in side control, you're in mount, and you, but you're, there's no real task or focus or goal yet. So the ecological approach to me kind of merges concepts and live training with that positional sparring. So now you're in that space and you you bypass all the technical stuff and you do this here, you do that here. And now we're just put in these positions in a with a constraint, with a task, a goal for both players, because you got to do jujitsu in context of another person, because that's what we're all doing. And now you work from there. And then you'll see it'll translate right into rolling. You know, I do it with my students all the time. And the stuff I've been seeing has just been awesome. It's mostly teams which is actually great to work with teens and kids because adults sometimes <laughs> might not want to do that. And they're like, well, what are you teaching me? You show me a technique. I'm like, dude, the technique's right there. We've just been training. <laughs> That's the technique you need. And then I'll put these kids in these positions and then they'll just transfer it right into live rolling. Like after, you know, one class or a day or 20, 30 minutes or whatever. And then now they could just build on that. So it's been amazing for me to see and great for my students to see this. And they're very receptive to it because that's just, they just want to train. You know, what's better in jujitsu than rolling and training? That's what we're here for, you know? I'm not here to drill out reps because if you get, if you do a lot of drilling, you basically get good at drilling. You know, we want to get good at the jujitsu part. Um, how did you, I mean, I'm saying this again from from someone who is, is completely changed up almost on a on a bi-monthly basis how he teaches classes uh yeah. how did you find um going from a normal jujitsu like i say warm-up three techniques and a soda drilling uh yeah. sparring setup to um re redesigning curriculum around this approach like what what barriers did you find i think it I think the defensive jujitsu stuff with Preet kind of led me in that path because I'm like, okay, I want to learn this position. I want to learn these, these concepts, these techniques of how to roll. And then I'm not going to get people to come drill with me that. I don't even know how you would even drill it. So like I'm saying, I would just train with my daughter and then we would go and in, in the basements and train. And then I just, I would be doing, I wouldn't tell them where I'd be like, hey, listen, I'm just going to be playing defense. Just attack me with everything you got. And I'm going with brown belts and purple belts and some black belts. And I would constrain myself and say, I'm just going to play this defensive stuff. 
and we'd start in all these different positions. I'd give them a hand in the collar or whatever, this and that. And then actually sidebar too of that, one of my friends, he was a brown belt and he was mostly a gi player. And he just doesn't, he never really liked leg locks. But he started doing more no gi and he's like, you know what, before I come a black belt, I'd like to learn about leg locks. But he doesn't just want to sit there and rep out leg lock entries and this and that. So all we did, I said, okay, so me and my buddy, he's really good at leg locks. We took him and we just said, okay, we're going to just play a game. This is before I even started learning about the ecological stuff. This is more just from the defensive jujitsu and just listening to people. I think Robert Deagle might have mentioned this too. And I would just say, okay, we're going to start in the saddle and I'm going to have your secondary leg. So like a double trouble. I said, all you need to do is hide your heel. You have to, so defense first. I like teaching from a defense perspective out. So right, and the end, and I like you guys talk about, Cree talks about from the end game back. So you're already in the worst spot you can. You're in double trouble, saddle, or whatever, or you go 90-10, and I'd have the secondary leg, and I'm telling him, all you're going to do is hide your heel. That's it. Hide your heel and try to get out when you can. So it went from him just defending his heel. He's getting tapped like crazy in the first sessions, a couple, you know, that first rolls. Then he's hiding his heel. Now he's starting to turn. Now he's now he's freeing his leg. Now he's getting out. He's getting ready to secondary leg. And then eventually he started attacking off of this. And this and he was not taught any of these entries and positions and, and whatever. We just played in the space for an hour of just leg locks, just entries. I mean, just um, the games from these positions. And we just kept going backwards. Now from saddle, maybe from 90-10, now straight 50-50, hide your heel, defend first, go. Now back it up, double seat it, you know, classic butt scoot style, <laughs> double seat it, or try to get out, but stay in the game. You're only going to build up that confidence in your legs and your heels if you're in that position. You're not going to do that with drilling. It's just you have to be in that live situation. And I'm like, this guy was picking up legs in once we were just doing it once a week. And after a couple months or whatever, he's very confident with his defense. You know, he's not a, an expert at it, but he's like, wow, I feel good in this now. And I'm like, all right, if we could do it with something with leg locks, which everybody thinks is this so advanced, you know, oh, I got to learn all these things and positions. No, just get in it, learn how to hide your heel, learn how to do whatever, survive, just like the defensive philosophy, and then move on from there. And I'm like, wow, it's working on this. And then we did with another person who wanted to learn it. And I'm like, this is great. We could just do this for everything. Let's just try to do this for everything. So now, as a coach, I kind of challenge myself each class. How can I teach something without really showing it? Can I get the results I want to see without having to say, put your arm here, do this, rep it out? Can we do this? And I'm seeing it work. And then I went down to Greg Souter's place. And those guys, everyone I rolled with there was just a a beast. They were just skill with, with, uh, they gave no room, no space in their control. And they weren't just like guys who just, you know, are just going really hard. It's there's skill in there. There's, there's, there's control. And I'm like, all right, this is cool. I'm glad I seen it at that level. I feel like I'm doing good with what I'm doing with my training and my kids that I teach and the other people, my buddies. So I'm like, this is kind of how I keep progressing towards it. So it's just been kind of evolving the last couple of years from a defensive jiu-jitsu to everything at once, you know? I think I was probably introduced, like I said, the same, rough, probably the same way after learning about the defensive postures. And 
Again, Mr. Graugart, Mr. Christian Graugart said at the Arizona camp uh, a couple of years ago, uh, he did a introduction to defensive BJJ. And he said, after learning about running man and these positions, he said, how can I now go back to just teaching side control? Because I know it doesn't exist. Well, not in the I same show, way. I, yeah, I don't show side control. I don't show it as much because it's really no. not there, you know? Um, and I hit the same snag uh, as soon as running man was there. And this, you know, as soon as you've passed the legs, they can they can go into a defensive posture. Then it definitely made right. Okay, well, I can't show side control because everyone's just going to look at me and go, "Well, I haven't seen that position in a while because no one lets me there." Um, and it definitely made me then. I really, you know, I I wasn't aware of the ecological approach. Um, necessarily i mean uh, you know i i started playing a lot more games and that's how i was teaching um but the way i i especially like if i'm doing seminars and it was interesting actually you mentioned about heel hooks I'll, I'll put a pin in that i'll come back to it um now whenever i i teach or i i do seminars is i i try and explain this idea that the reason i'm doing teaching this way is because i trust you as intelligent human beings in that I don't want to spoon feed you everything. Like, here you go, take this. Like, I don't trust you. You're not a smart person. Have yeah, a, have another know. detail and be like that forever, and and make them reliant and and unable to think for themselves in in a in a higher capacity. Um, and I liken it to playing video games. Sometimes, I mean, I'm a when I'm not doing jujitsu, I I play games to to try and. Uh, not think about jujitsu um <laughs> but you you know you get given parameters you get given uh, an introduction to the the necessary skills you'll need and then you're going to come across enemies and bosses and it's their skill checks and their conundrums and you go figure it out i mean you may hit a wall that you just cannot for the life of you get through and you may need a couple of hints to get past it but that's how we 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 learn everything. If we, if you essentially self-teach within parameters, the information just seems to stick so much better. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I, I, I have to kind of like explain that. And that's why, you know, I'm doing my classes the way they are because I want the information to stick because I don't want to show you the details. I want you to find the details for yourself and let us talk about it um and then you'll yeah. remember them because you know you remember the the route you took to get there um i i i uh a few years ago to try and improve the marketing for my gym i tried to to learn basic portrait photography and so i had to go find that information um and because i had to self teach and and you know pick up all the bits of information off of articles and youtube videos i know why i'm doing every single thing with the camera um and that information is probably never going to leave my head uh and i it's trying to carry that over to the jujitsu sphere and i mentioned about seminars and it was actually weirdly a craig jones seminar in about 2016 he was doing a seminar on the inside heel hook and uh, escaping your heel weirdly um and it was on about the ballerina foot and turning away and hiding your heel inside the other person's rib cage 
and then on about how you know people doing that he's going to have to like grab their their foot as he enters into the saddle and like flex their foot so they can't ballerina foot so here's the defense here's how i'm doing to like kill the defense a little bit but the problem i have is as soon as i try and then transition it into the armpit they can ballerina and escape right as part of the seminar i want you to play that like how are you going to get your foot how the, the foot you've taken from the um from the chest where you have this flex grip into the uh, armpit without them escaping. And so you have this game then of the person who is stuck in the saddle knowing when they can escape their foot. Like, right, if it's ballerinaed, pointed, and I can push on the knee line and pull my leg out, I'm good to go. But right now, stuck against his chest, I can't do that. And that information stuck across the board. You know, it's a seminar that's now terrifyingly seven years old for me. And that information is is... It all made sense to me because I, you know, he gave a problem, gave a solution yeah. and allowed us to find our own way there. And we started baiting each other and, and, you know, faking certain things, you know, especially if you want to be a good partner for your partner to help them learn, you try and one up them a little bit on the next time, not be a dick and just fuck you, I'm going to smash you, but you want to give yeah. them a little, you know, to, to, to put a bit of nuanced resistance in for the next time you try and find how they escaped previously and then you try yeah. and just close that down a little bit and that then makes them better uh, and again i completely agree with that as a way of teaching um again i think the difficult part then becomes is that there are all these fantastic ideas especially you know right now the thing that i am screaming so much about is is wrestling up um and funny that like, I, I went to one of preet seminars recently with regards to him doing sido's open guard and, and getting up out of that but i think this idea that you you set the problem like why else would i you know why am i learning something if i have no if you just i think that's where i've i've kind of gone with this this whole approach again like i'm not sure what i can kind of call it is that i feel i have to set the problem first and that's kind of like one of those kind of details about the ecological approaches. All right, I, if, if I don't give you a problem that you need to solve, then you're not going to try and solve it. Well, yeah. Which means that the, the drill's pointless. Well, yeah. And that I think that's, I'm not sure who said it. It could have been Rob Gray or one of his guests. Rob Gray is like a, the super ecological, like on the academic side. And he trains like professional baseball players and all this other stuff. He's wrote a couple books. <laughs> check them out. Uh, Rob Gray, really awesome. And that's, um, and they're talking, and either he said or somebody else is this, do you, you know, you always worry about, are you doing, being a good coach and stuff? They, somebody said, or he said, if you're giving students, their students problems, problems to solve, you're doing a good job. They're going to learn something from that. You have to give them these problems. And if they're trying to solve it, they're going to learn from that. And then what we were talking about earlier, you were saying with the people and like, the spoon feeding and stuff. I believe it, uh, if something's called, uh, it's called, I believe it's called optimal theory by, uh, I believe it's by Gabrielle Wolf and somebody else. They did a book, uh, on it, optimal theory. And they say one of the ways to get better at learning in this, you know, what they've researched is autonomy is a huge part. You, you can't just sit there and just tell people exactly what to do. 
they may do it, but they're not really learning it. But if you give them an autonomy to do it, so that's why the constraints are really good because it boils it down to such a small, you only got a couple things to do, like you with Craig Jones seminar, just hiding the heel and all that. That's not a technique, like whatever. It's just that's what you were told to do in the constraint. You learned it, and now you have that autonomy of, Am I going to do it here? Am I going to do it here based on their reaction or what you're doing to that person? So in optimal theory, a couple of the things are autonomy, uh, external cueing instead of like, you know, where's your elbow? Where's this? No, like, well, where are you going to or where are you going to put that thing? You know, more, something more external. It's easier for people to to learn that way. You know, if you tell somebody to jump and you're like, I want you to Think about this muscle and this and fire your glutes and do this and your hamstrings instead of just say, hey, try to jump as far as you can possibly get. You know, you'll do better with that than thinking about everything that's going on on the inside. So that's why this optimal theory and all that and ecological are all kind of in that same space because you're giving autonomy, you're putting in these constrained environments, external cues, and you're giving problems and situations for both players to solve. And then the learning is going to stick. It's going to become that instead of constantly just spamming the same move. You know, you see that a lot. It's like a student learns a leg drag or this, that. And now that's all they know. They're just going to walk up to somebody and just start just leg drag all the time. And if their foot's in a different position, it's not going to work, right? Because you're going against uh, a non-resistance opponent. And then once, you know, somebody's resisting, things change. So how are you going to get better at that? If you're just drilling it, and if you go by like the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demands, you're going to get better at what you're doing. Like, like that's a big revelation, you know, like you want to get better at this, you're going to do it. You know, if you want to get really good at drilling, just go drill. But if you want to get good at live training, you got to be doing some live training. You know, it, you just can't, can't fake it. That's what I love about jujitsu and grappling is you like talking about with black belts being older and this and that or people, you got to do it on the mat at some point, you know, you got to kind of prove it kind of regulates us compared to the old Kung Fu, whatever masters or the death touch people or whatever. No, you got to get on the mat and you got to do it. Right. And that's how you know if that person's good or not. So this, this whole approach that where people are moving towards or doing, or has been around. Yeah. I think it's, per, I think grappling and jujitsu is the, perfect sport to do this with because you can actually do it pretty hard and pretty fast and live compared to like boxing or MMA where you're getting kicked in the head and damaging yourself. You can roll really hard. So it's, it's the best environment for it, in my opinion, from what I'm seeing. Bit of devil's advocate then. Do you think there's a place for fine detail as it's normally shown in jiu-jitsu in this, this new approach? My current thought on that, and it probably will change because my jaws and jiu-jitsu change all the time, like you were saying earlier. Like I have like a new A game every six months or my own personal jiu-jitsu or how I teach. But I would say those fine details are not, in my opinion now, are not mattering as much until the person gets more competent, learns a little more, and then now you could kind of go over it like, what I, how I do it, say me and my buddy were training legs and we're doing the stuff and attacking this list. And then after you actually got some context and know what you're doing, now go, 
hey, what about this? Hey, can we work on these finishing mechanics a little bit? Those details, I think, are more important at the end stage than because there's less variables at the end stage. You know, like when you got a full heel hook on, a couple little fine details will help you get that tap compared to the escape. But when we're talking about something as variable as guard passing, where you don't even know if you got a good connection or not, those details may matter less. And then maybe you could talk about those finer details when you get more context. I think pre, I think in one of Preet's seminars I watched on YouTube, I think he was showing uh, Anaconda Defense, and he just basically said, hey, or a Darce. And he's like, hey, just go put a Darce on an Anaconda, and he just like put his arms around the guy's head and arm and said, just do whatever you know, now go try it for five minutes. And then when he brought him back, all right, here's the little finer de details of the defense I want you to see because you have no context yet. So I think those finer details can be when you when you get better or more end game stages or just thought or or adding them in after you've done the training and really put yourself in these positions. You know, if you if you get what I'm saying, I'm sure you know. Yeah, of course. I I think that's the yeah again like we've pretty much said the exact same thing is for every technique. You know, if, if being almost like that, you know, that brute force, broad approach, or just a finer detail approach, there has to be a context. If you haven't set them a a, a reason to need to know this, I just, I, I, obviously, you know, we know what we both say about dead drilling in that it's drilling with a partner who's not seemingly alive. Um, yeah. But I'd also liken it to this idea of you know dead drilling being it's a dead technique. It has no value in that you haven't set a problem necessarily. Um, you've maybe invented a problem. Uh, or if your partner puts here and here's, here's the, 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 the detail for finishing it, but you haven't given them internally the problem of like, I need to know this. Okay. Well, here are the parameters go solve it. And, and then they, 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 uh, like they could find their route there, and and gain deeper context. Where they're going right. I now know what I'm trying to accomplish. I get most of the way there. Is there some fine details that I'm missing that will allow this? And like I said, those kind of finishing mechanics. Um, I mean, it was an interesting moment recently as well. In that, I think I've gone further down the rabbit hole on this. In that, I've stopped teaching submissions. Yeah. Oh, possibly. Possibly, I'm still oh, there. There you are. Yeah, you said you stopped teaching submissions. Yeah, I heard you on a podcast talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's that I think. I, I think maybe the this whole new approach and teaching has made me lose my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. I, I I think about this stuff way too much. Like, yeah. Then I go, what do I do? Maybe I see this pop on a bunch of the same techniques as you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I I'll go first circle one day. It. But I'm so uh, OCD on this stuff through the years that it's like I, I just want to keep digging, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, how you said like the, the the broadness of this approach allows people to to explore uh, and gain a lot more context for a lot more situations. Um, and the thing that I find that has been again maybe toxic at a lower level um, are submissions and the framing of 
of how a win, what a win is. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard this already, I mean, the way I, uh, I've kind of framed it is uh, if I teach that the submission is the end goal, people will throw away good position for bad submission. Um, and I f- especially with this 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 whole approach of like guard passing and maintaining dominance and um creating deeper context for everything i find that it can almost all be thrown you can get that kind of rush the adrenaline rush for, oh, and there's a submission and throw away all the good progress you've made um, yeah yeah no i can see that yeah because yeah I, i've not i've sort of noted i was hearing you talk about that and i was trying to think lately i still I haven't been shown submissions as much either because I've been focusing so much on pinning and controlling and, and all these means of control that once you get all those down, then the submission should be relatively easier. Right. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, throwing out the, the, the submission for nothing, you know? So, but, and I'm sure you're the same way from the backwards approach, maybe, maybe it's, it, you could still show the submissions almost because you understand why that armbar worked and you just keep backing it up or that heel hook and you keep backing it up and you know, you know, keep reiterating, hey, you really need control for this to really work. So sometimes I like to show not, you know, like with the saddle, with the leg, you're not, you know, we're not repping out heel hooking, finishing mechanics. We're repping out the control that will lead to that and then backing it out. So I could see showing the submission and, you know, like you're saying, you haven't shown it as much and I could totally see that because I'm, I'm seeing that a little bit too, where it's like, I'm caring more if you can get up or not <laughs> or hold that person down than if you could submit them. Like in the old jujitsu way, it's like whoever gets the submission wins, you know, wins the role. But to me now I'm like, and whoever controlling the role is kind of more winning in, in, in air quotes. But you're going to really need that to control to hit that submission for the majority of the time, you know? So I understand what you're saying where you're like, don't show us missions as much because what's the point <laughs> when you, they can't even get the control part yet, you know? Yeah, but again, it's, that, it's you know, yeah, we suck at control. That's that's something that's becoming way more apparent the more I do this. Uh, but also, again, like it's that trying to avoid that... Um, framing in their in their career that's going to make them as i said choose choose the wrong path as it were and and think that the submission is is everything uh above control and it it blows my mind sometimes where i've seen you know people jump for obviously insane submissions and just go flying over the top and then land and they think all that progress you've just made of passing the guard and pinning that person down and especially you know against people who play good defense good defensive postures it may be fleeting to even find a dominant position on someone to then throw all that progress away for for a submission um i find baffling sometimes like and and um yeah i think the 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 introduction of defensive postures as we've both had plus the the ecological approach and and everyone getting better at applying the the defensive postures and and attacking them etc 
kind of led me down this route. So I'd be interested, actually, if you if you suddenly start hitting like you know we talk about in in the next six months or something, they go, yeah, I I, I can't I can't teach this. I can't I can't right. even find side control on my students. Why right. would I teach them side control armbar? I can't, well, yeah. can't get there. I will say that, but then I just went down and trained a couple of days down at you know standard jujitsu with Greg. And they're just, you know, full ecological and they show submissions like crazy, obviously. But man, their controls were so good that the submissions just started popping. Like I was, you know, I was trying to get out of these positions. I'm playing all the stuff, you know, uh, you know, I'm a little older and smaller, but I still, I could still roll pretty well, you know, decently. And these guys control was just so good in so many parts. And they were not like trying to spam submissions. They would hit the submission once the control was done. So there's the context of that. That's how they train. So it looks looks like it's working pretty well for them. It was it was weird in that I found the same thing training at Ryan Hall's down uh, just out just outside DC. Uh, his yep. his was some of the first students I ever came across where everyone felt dangerous. Like everyone felt like a hunter. Um, yes. Well, usually if I play play the defensive postures. In a, in a in a regular gym, I can kind of laugh a little bit. Like I can hit them, and then people just try and like iron iron finger their way through my armpit, and then just look perplexed as to this feels weird. Um, yeah, because the stuff they're used to seeing is not there anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Ryan's was one of the first places that I'd ever been to. I was like, oh damn! Like even the blue belts and purple belts are, are yeah, they're hunters, and and that's a the the best way I can describe them. And which, you know, knowing Ryan and, and knowing how out there he can teach um, conceptually, like that made sense again. Like, oh, okay, right. So, yeah, you've you've developed a good standard in here through a, not a, a, a non-standard jiu-jitsu approach. Oh, yeah, um, no, definitely. Because, yeah, Ryan was like one of the original guys I used to hear back in the day talking about concepts. Yes. I had some of his DVDs and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, I've never, I'm like, I would watch some Ryan Hall stuff and I'm like, wow, this is good stuff. I, I really resonated towards that. You know, I've watched almost all the instructionals by everybody, you know, yeah. and there's some guys I'd watch <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd be like 10 minutes in. I'm like, this is garbage. I don't want to listen to this. And then other guys, I'll just like devour them all. Like you, you can name somebody. I've, I probably watched them, you know, I, I've been on Mendes brothers online for a year, which was amazing. I love, I love Hoffa. He, to me, he's the, the greatest jiu-jitsu player ever, gi, no gi, offense, defense, guard passing, guard retention ever. And I used to watch his stuff on Mendes Brothers and he would just talk about what was going on. And I'd learn all these techniques, but then when I was like, wanted to really understand guard retention, which people didn't really talk about back in the day, it was more get your guard back, guard recovery. Nobody was really talking about retention. And yes. from all the techniques I learned, I would just listen to uh, Hoffa talk about. And then when I'm playing guard, I'm like, okay, don't let them control your head. Have a frame, have a barrier, control the distance, and stay connected. That it, My guard retention exploded just from those concepts stuck in my head. Not from the technique, from, not from the reverse Delaheva, the Delaheva, the spider, whatever. It was just those things. Don't let them control your head. Don't let them pass your, your knees and your hip line. Have a control the distance with your feet or your knees, you know, and I'm like, wow, this really works really well. And that was just a concept, you know, but I had to apply it. And I'm like, this is great. 
you know, so I would follow Mendes Brothers. I was on Marcelo's site, 10th Planet. You know, I, I followed Donna or Donna, her stuff, everybody. I've, I've watched all the instructionals. And now I kind of want I now I don't really want to watch that many because I didn't want to learn more techniques, you know. Dude, that's, I don't feel special good. anymore. Like, I know you follow it. Like, some reason, I don't, thanks, man. Like, I, I thought I was like worth something there. Like, no, nah, like, I'm just, just one of your other whores that you've like, been following. Like, like dude. I, I will say I I do I have your uh what was the first uh DVD called? How to defend against everyone. Against everyone, yeah. I, I loved it. And and like like you say, you don't even show anything. You don't teach anything like some of your seminars. You're like, I'm not I've talked for an hour and I've taught you nothing. I enjoy those more than me watching technique videos of like fifty spider guard sweeps. You know? Those do nothing yeah. for me. I'd rather sit and watch you and Naki sitting there with the whiteboard. You know, talking about yeah. the controls. <laughs> um, oh, I, I hope so. I can apply it because I can apply it. You know, it's like, you know, control the joint above and below the one you attack. Know what you're controlling. Control the shoulder line, the hip line. Like, that's all it is. This is what grappling is, right? Wrestlers have been doing this forever. Yeah. You know, it's just the rules that dictate are in the sport. That's just going to make people gravitate towards one thing or the other, you know? You got the IBJJF, and that's why guys, you know, compete like that because they're playing in that rule set, you know. So that's so, all we're doing. We're just playing a sport in the rule set. The 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 final thing I want to ask then is for anyone who's who's listened to this and has maybe had their interest piqued uh, by this this ecological approach. Um, how? What would you finally say to convince someone to to maybe step out of their comfort zone and start teaching this way and how to build a curriculum about it? I would say if so the way I do things and it's always is I don't want to just do it halfway. So you start adding little bits and what I've seen when I hear other people talk about trying the approach and I and listen, I may not be doing it right either. I'm just trying. We're all trying to learn stuff. I just follow these different people that do it and try to apply it to what I know. But just give it a shot, really try it and try to not try to throw away the other way. Don't interject as much, say less, find the people that do this stuff, Greg, or, you know, you, you do versions of it, three, you know, a couple of these guys, this different approach. And then just take these things and see what kind of games you could come up with, what kind of constraints Put it into practice, and guess what? You're going to fail, too. I fail as an instructor all the time, but that's the trial and error for me. So I start watching. Sometimes I'll watch the class, and I'm like, all right, we got to stop and try something else because this is not coming out how I want it or what I think I'm seeing. If it's just chaos, you know, because now we're just rolling. So put them in these positions. Do something simple, easy games. I have a great game I always play where I just – Put somebody down. I usually start them in like hawking because I don't want traditional side control with the cross face underhook given away. I'll just have them in side control and I'll just start it with you have the hand, you're holding their top hand with your top hand. So you got the knuckles and just, just try to get up. Don't even show them panda and turtle or anything. What can you do to get up? And what could that other person do to hold you down? They can go seatbelt and then just keep scaling up the games. Or we could go from a full turtle and you just have to get up now down the running man. You have to get up or whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. 
it's just that's that's your uh your stamp as an instructor how you teach and what you kind of gravitate towards but put these and then give your students problems to solve and let them try to solve it and don't interject too much i think a lot of time as coaches like you with your video games i used to be a big video game player we want to sit there as a coach and have our controller and just guide what our students are doing you know grab this go here under here go there go there no let them learn let them try to figure it out but give them something to give them a task give them a goal give put some constraints on and don't rob them of their learning and let them try to figure some of this stuff out you know the way i like it that like we just said is you know using that kind of video game analogy is you know being being like an older sibling or something and seeing like a younger sibling playing a game and and how you know as soon as they hit a bit of adversity just snatching the controller out of their hand and go what are you doing just do this and like not letting them just enjoy the game um yeah and uh yeah you can it's there's if they hit an we're all just playing you know, right comfort. we're all just yeah. playing here we're all adults rolling around on the map together we're just exactly. playing this is this is our time to play and in this in this space you know and play, they show a lot of research on play, you know, serious play or play, that's better for learning also, you know? It's not this rote repetition, but I think a lot of people who came up in the more industrial way of learning, you know, this producing people, putting them in through schools and factories or whatever, here's your thing, here's your technique, now go. They wanna to be told this is what you need to do. But when you actually give some autonomy, give some it, they might take, because, this is, it's your jujitsu. It's your grappling, what you're learning. You know, don't roll like me. Don't roll like this guy. You could get ideas. That's great. I mimic people all the time. You know, I got Lachlan's DVD, 50-50, whatever. I was playing all that like crazy because right? I wanted to learn what he was doing. And then now I adapt it to my body, my size, but I put myself in these scenarios and then go. So give them a chance to learn, give them problems to solve and let them go and give them some autonomy, just be a guide. I don't even like, sometimes I'm not even a coach. I'm just a guide, right? Just kind of let you go along your way. It's funny because you're kind of teaching them not to really need you that much, which, <laughs> you know, may not be good for business sometimes, but I think it actually is because it, it makes more of a better environment, in my opinion, you know, instead I think of that hierarchical guy sitting up there where you bow to. I think that's an interesting point, especially for any kind of junior instructors coming through is even some black belts um especially ones who put on advanced classes uh is you always feel like you have to uh demonstrate your worth by showing yes. new or advanced techniques every class um i mean I, I i again i say it from a position of guilt in that um i yeah i'd i'd, I'd rack my brain every session to go oh no what new setup could i show what new finish could I show or what new sweep could I show and it was every session because if I didn't have something better or new uh to show you know uh, again to show that I, I knew more essentially yes um, yeah I was there too yeah it's our ego you know we all yeah. got it jiu the egoless sport right yeah exactly <laughs> um and yet here we all are, you know, trying to to <laughs> prove that we're still the best in the room and that we should still be the coach because oh, we keep I showing. Know. I know, and I, I've said this a few times in various places, and the amount of people who start nodding their head as I'm saying it, I'm like, ah, you've been there too. Why didn't yeah. anyone tell us that we shouldn't do this? 
like yeah. say like say say less um means yeah. more and then so like no no i've got i've got a new new really intricate flow drill setup that i can show you guys and no one ever yeah. uses it oh yeah like it, it's gonna be funny because i'm gonna be doing the main camp and my class i'm gonna teach is leg lock games and I don't know how it's going to play as a seminar or as a class, but I'm going to treat it as a class. You know, I'll talk a little bit, explain what I'm doing. Cause like you're saying, you kind of have to, when people aren't used to this, you got to kind of give them, you know, a little context of something, you know, and I'm just going to play, we're going to play in these games and I'm going to give you this stuff. And hopefully in that hour class, you're going to go, huh? All right. I kind of learned a little bit about this and leg locks are scary for people sometimes, or just learning anything where they're not told exactly what to do, but I'm going to give them and I'm going to see how it goes. I haven't run. I didn't do it at my glo- last globe trotters, but this one, I'm going to do it because I feel it's, uh, I feel it's important. It's what I'm into. And, you know, that's why we're there to show the stuff we know or do, you know, and I'm going to try to teach a, this class with games just in leg locks and we'll see where it goes it could be a mess or i'm excited for this i i (laughs) um i cannot wait to see you ask 150 people to play leg lock games uh (laughs) a camp of various of various experiences uh across the world and and how they've learned jujitsu i cannot wait in a yeah, country please. with terrible healthcare, oh. I cannot wait to see what you're about to do. I will be there, camera in hand, to record well, what happens. Well, I it, and just so for context, I probably won't be having people doing finishes because I that would oh. be a nightmare. We're, we'll have 150 uh, blown out knees in Maine, you know, and and the state will go up or something. I don't know. Everyone's premium is going up in Maine yeah. in the short in this in the not too distant future because of um, what you're about to do. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll go really well. I'm 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 hoping it'll go well. And I'm hoping they're like not just run me out of there, you know. But I'm like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna play some games and it's called uh leg lock games, play to win and lose. So we'll see what happens, you know, because that's that's how we're going you know i cannot wait and i said this this may come out um the the week whilst we're there uh and so it may not even happened yet um if it comes out on the tuesday which i intend for it to 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 do uh this carnage may not have happened so uh hopefully what i'll what i'll do i'm going to take my camera my gopro to uh the camp and so hopefully I'll, i'll be there to record what you're doing uh, especially i hope it's recorded on the the globetrotters in action so um yeah you know anyone anyone eventually it'll come out hopefully via that if anyone wants to watch the the classes that that rob does otherwise i i may get a few clips myself and and post them on the you know across youtube and and if you're okay with yeah, that of course um, yeah and it's 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 so funny because i i take this stuff like i say i'm very obsessive about things and like how i want to teach and show things and you're you're getting put in these stages of a whole bunch of people you don't even really know so i kind of take it as a challenge of what can i show you know like and just kind of figure it out so i get so much anxiety about it i'm like oh how am i get so i can just go through my head all the time how am i going to teach this how am i going to show this and then just let's just let it go and see what happens you know so it, it'll be a, it, it'll be a different one you know but hopefully Com- not too bad completely uh so finishing up then um 
thank you for your time anyone who who wants to contact you and find out more about this and and have a chat with you or, or see maybe sample classes of what you're doing what's the best way for people to to learn more about you uh easiest is uh on instagram uh liquid underscore rob so liquid rob that's it was my name from back in the day and it's still stuck and it's a decent grappling name so i like it where's it come from with that uh back when i used to train at uh aka and franks and them it had a dual meaning where uh supposedly my grappling at the time was pretty smooth and kind of flowed like water and also i sweat a lot too so <laughs> i go. do remember and, uh, that actually yeah. i remember that from yeah. brad's <laughs> yeah that's kind of my thing i don't know why but i like to say it's i'm smooth and i flow like water but also pretty pretty wet also too so you <laughs> know that's gross dude yeah oh yeah and this is grappling man right grappling yeah. is like the grossest you know you're the guy who sweated into everyone's face from mount like into their mouth oh yeah yeah just water torture style you know yeah yeah water torture rob yeah so instagram's the best place liquid rob you have got a video out on globetrotters haven't you yes yeah it's i believe it's it's on the rear triangle where i teach it from the back out you know and it's it's more prescriptive and not as you know it's it's getting it that's been my evolution so I, you know, it was a seminar, so I wanted to show away a lot of details, but still give some whatever. So I'm kind of keep adjusting my teaching all the time. Like I think as coaches, it's our, our responsibility to keep trying to get better and learn about coaching, read, watch people, figure out, figure this stuff out, you know? So if you want your students to evolve, you should keep evolving too. So that, that's how I see it. I think that's kind of perfect. Uh, brilliant. Thank you for, uh, Thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday evening. Is it is the weather nice over, uh, like right now? Is it warm outside? Have I made you miss warm weather to, to oh, do this? About, yeah, it's about 70. little humid. Not too bad. Not that bad. I, I was done for the day anyway. I was traveling for a couple of days driving, so I was fine, you know. So oh, I'm good. Thank, thank you for uh, for yeah sticking around. Thank you for, for agreeing to this and, and taking your time after a, a busy weekend to – to have a chat with me and and the five people listening to this and yes, um yes. <laughs> i i look forward to, look forward to i mean i've never been to maine um i'm looking forward to to going to this new camp and, and seeing you out there soon it's an awesome camp you're gonna love it you know and uh, yeah i can't wait to see you again uh, all the crew you know have a little defensive jiu-jitsu meet up you know and just uh, lie on the floor and do nothing together yeah <laughs> it cool. sounds sounds amazing <laughs> oh, sounds like the event of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. Take care, man. Peace. See you.